Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Cliff. Let's get started. This week, we're doing something a bit different. I'm joining forces with James Osborne from TGW to bring you an episode dedicated to the logistics of music. It all started a few months ago when I came across James's string quartet on LinkedIn. I reached out to ask whether he'd like to come on the podcast to combine his passion for music with his knowledge of warehouse automation, and he was happy to accept the offer. Today, we will talk about the specific challenges of storing and distributing musical instruments and physical media. You'll hear about how one of the UK's best independent record shops runs a multi-channel retail operation, and where the best opportunities for automation lie. And yes, you'll get to hear James's musical talents for yourself later in the episode. Firstly, I'll let him introduce himself. My name's James Osborne, and I am both a logistics automator and a string quartet player combined. I think I'm probably the world's only one of those. So I'm passionate about classical music. I love playing in an orchestra and a string quartet, but I also then spend my time designing, implementing and managing automation for uh, the logistics industry. And we have a number of really interesting key accounts in the music industry. Sony, Toman, some of our accounts. The music industry has undergone huge changes in the last decade or so. We're living in the age of streaming. Whether it's Apple Music or Spotify or any other number of providers, you can access almost any song at any time, anywhere, simply by using your mobile phone. You might think that there's no point in manufacturing physical media anymore. Record sales show a different picture. Vinyl sales in the UK have been growing year on year for well over a decade, and in 2021, more vinyl was sold than any other year since the 1980s. Consumers are rediscovering the magic of holding your favourite album in your hands and keeping this format alive and thriving. Martin Evans works at Piccadilly Records, which has topped countless lists of the UK's best record shops over the decades. I asked him why he thinks that owning physical music remains strong in a digital age. I think there's always been a, a, a call for it, really. I mean, it, it's the same, I suppose, as, as say, um, people who like to collect books instead of Kindle. Um, there, there was like a when digital media was first thing it was a big thing and people kind of jumped onto that Um, but I think people found that it just wasn't satisfying there are some people in the world who like to collect things and I suppose digital media doesn't feel like they've actually got it if you use a streaming service then you're kind of like at the mercy of the streaming service as to whether you'll actually have this thing whether they'll decide to keep it on the streaming service or not Um, whereas I suppose people who like to collect things once they bought an item they can go home they can look at the sleeve they can read the lyric sheet or whatever and they feel like they've actually got something so it just provides for those people going back before streaming before cds and cassette tapes before vinyl even before radio you could only listen to your favorite piece of music under certain conditions you had to have the sheet music a musical instrument and the skills to play that instrument or you had to find someone else who fulfilled those three criteria. That might mean going to see a travelling musician, but that musician had their own challenges. There was no micro-fulfillment centre to replace a broken string in a matter of minutes, or trackable delivery to ensure a new bow arrives on time. Here's James to tell you how music has always had a strong connection to logistics. 
it's been a challenge right the way back to the days of Cremona. So for for those uh, history buffs, you know, the early violins all came out of northern Italy and Cremona was the, the centre of the world when it came to, to instrument manufacturing. Ever since those early days in, in Cremona, actually instrument transportation has been really challenging. So, you know, not only you've got highwaymen and things getting pinched whilst on journey to their final destination but you know moving musical instruments over large distances you've got vibration you've got humidity and you've got some very valuable instruments being transported as well so you've got some real risk involved and today yeah those are still the same challenges so from a physical musical instrument perspective yes it's uh, it's unique as an industry um, but then, you know, since the 60s and 70s, when we had uh, tape recording and then more recently digital recording, you know, we've had this huge boom in physical distribution of recorded music as well. And I think that industry uh, has certainly had its own fair share of logistics challenges. Before we delve into the complexities of storing and distributing records, let's return to James's love of playing music. He and his string quartet have recorded two pieces for us. I'll let him introduce the first one now. So this piece is one of my favourite string quartet pieces of music. It's uh, Borodin's quartet. It's his second quartet. And the extract that you're listening to is the original theme played by the cello. I'm sure that there are a few of you out there who know all too well how accessible musical instruments are becoming. I'd hazard a guess that there are at least a dozen people listening who brought an instrument over the pandemic to keep themselves entertained during the lockdowns. Perhaps a guitar or an electric keyboard that is now gathering dust in a cupboard or an attic. If that's you, don't worry, you're not alone. I don't know how, how, how many people forged new new habits and new hobbies during COVID. That would be a very interesting uh a bit of social research to read about but um but yep there is certainly let's say a revival in demand for physical musical instruments and we're seeing that through some of our supply chains and you know this is this is hugely complex to manage to put it into context if you imagine a large distributor of musical instruments someone like toman their SKU base so the number of items that they stock individual items is more than every line available in every major supermarket in the UK today. So imagine every supermarket brand puts all of their stock together. That is the size of their range in terms of their warehouse. So it's phenomenal. It's over 240,000 SKUs. And these things range from 
you know spare strings spare strings are literally a string in a in a in a small wax paper case you know they range from strings or picks for guitars right the way through to grand pianos and mini grand pianos so you know the sheer complexity of moving things with an enormous uh, uh, weight and size is is really interesting the physical musical industry that of equipment of instruments is really booming at the minute you know manufacturing techniques are constantly evolving we have the use of robotics in 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 actual manufacture of instruments and that's actually speeding up production times it's bringing costs down it's making musical instruments much more accessible than they've ever been then from a value perspective you know there's not many things in a supermarket where you're likely to spend more than a hundred pounds maybe maybe an extraordinarily nice bottle of champagne but um, but no from a value perspective musical instruments really uh, the mass market for musical instruments really tops out at two two and a half thousand pounds so you have a huge spectrum really of of value as well in the supply chain so that makes it a really interesting place to work where we say if you can effectively automate the music industry, then supermarkets is no problem. When vinyl records first hit shelves, you had to get to the shops in person to make purchases, perhaps making a phone call in advance to check stock or make a reservation. But the growth of e-commerce in recent years means that consumers expect this service from a digital storefront. So how does that work practically? Here's Martin from Piccadilly Records to discuss how he manages the process. That's actually not been too difficult um, because they, we operate from the same stock um, and the same premises. Um, and so it effectively was just a, a question of setting up a, a, an e-shop with a mail order system and just using um, the shop. And basically all of the, the stock management is, is common to both um, and setting up so we can set up a system where you, we can actually monitor stock levels um, as in real time. You know, as the, as things sell out in the shop, then that will be noted and relevant for mail order and vice versa. I would say that it's um, it's generally a space issue, and obviously they are quite delicate media, so they have to be stored in such a way that they're protected, um, but also accessible for members of staff who need to get them quickly um, to serve customers. Um, so those are the main things. I would say probably the, the most important thing is to be able to store them in such a way that they're, they're easily negotiable for people. We'll shortly get on to the topic of how automation comes into the logistics of music, but first let's have another musical interlude. This one's rather unique. I'll let James introduce it. So this piece is is a one-off. So the composer, Ravel, only wrote one string quartet. And this is a really beautiful piece of music. And if you're a string quartet lover, then this will definitely be in your, your repertoire already. But the, the extract that we're listening to here is is the duet played between the viola and the first violin. Thank you. 
The slightest knock to a vinyl record can cause a scuff that renders it unplayable, so the picking process for physical music must be characterised by precision and a light touch. James told me that you don't have to invest thousands of pounds in the latest robotics technology to achieve this, and that underestimating people power is an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, people, you know, people have enormous flexibility. Um, you know, the carbon carbon life forms, as we call them in the robotics industry. Yeah, they're incredibly flexible and adaptable, and and can operate uh, supply chains with enormous care. Um, and, and actually, you know, there is still a place for that, certainly in the packing and picking process. I think what what I see the developments being in the future is 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 certainly in the cataloging and control. So the actual picking process is not generally the largest cost in running a warehouse with an extraordinarily large stock base. The costs are, are in the sorting, it's in the cataloging, it's in the storage, and it's in the retrieving. And and actually, there's a lot of opportunity to improve that in the future through um, through AI. So to satisfy your customers, your data strategy needs to be able to keep a watertight record of what you have in stock. James can tell you about the unique distribution profile of physical media and how AI can improve your cataloging. You do have like the odd artist where there's huge demand for a particular album and you might move two, three, four hundred thousand units a week of that particular uh, release, but then at the other spectrum, you can imagine there are literally hundreds of thousands of SKUs of of, of recordings that that just hardly move. You know, they may move two, three, four units a year, and actually, the complexity is in in storing all of these in the same environment. So, you know, developments in visioning technology and robot picking really help because it allows you to sift through and sort through product at a very fast pace uh, and catalog it but but really handling it is complex so one source of investment that we're seeing with increasing popularity is the ability to forecast based on demand so it takes uh, a, a numerous hundreds in fact variables of economic environmental and social markers and what it's doing is it's creating a set of scenarios that try and predict demand and this applies to the music industry but predicts demand and revival in particular types of genre in particular classifications of music and even particular artists so if you've got that knowledge and you can actually plan ahead and that enables you to save an enormous amount of time in the supply chain by almost you know it's like, uh, I don't know, some of the listeners might relate to this, but defragging a hard drive, you know, you can constantly sort through your stock and you can constantly rearrange it in a way that is going to allow it to be picked in a more efficient manner. So having access to tools like these AI forecasts allow you to defrag your warehouse and get a really good understanding of, of where everything is. Like James said, data analytics is key in forecasting peaks in demand and can save you both time and money. But how do you get the most bang for your buck? Where can the most meaningful investments be made? James talked me through the misconceptions around automation and mentioned two key areas that can provide you easy wins. When I I talk about robots and mention logistics, people do think of like a Terminator-esque, you know, robot walking around a warehouse picking up stuff off of a pallet. But, But of course, the real revolution is in the software and in how we manage our time. So, you know, in terms of accessibility to to tools, yep, I think there's a a lot out there that uh, is readily available. 
off-the-shelf products to deal with scheduling. So, you know, there are one of the big mistakes people make when investing in software or automation for warehouses. You know, they compare what they're doing today with with automation or a fully automated warehouse and then try and justify that investment. But the reality is, is that there are lots of different types of investment you could make. So we always try and compare types of investment to different types of investment. And one area where you can invest quite easily is in software. So the two big areas that I would I would say, you know, invest in uh, or, or investigate uh, as, as easy, easy investments to make is in scheduling, labour scheduling and in forecasting. So these are two of the most disruptive technologies in logistics investments at the minute. The scheduling enables you to really maximise people's time based on their own skill sets. So we're all trained in lots of different things in the warehouses. And, and actually the scheduling tool allows you to maximise everybody's time based on their own skill set and where you need them and do it down to the minute. So, you know, you can do it, you can do that through wearables. We, we've we seen software applications be put in warehouses where you can manage people's time down to a minute and, you know, you can reallocate them and move them around the, the, the material flow to put them wherever the pressure is. So those things are really, really valuable. And then they complemented by these clever forecasters. So as we've just said, you know, this AI forecasting trend really helps you predict, you know, your rotors. It helps you think about what kind of support you're going to need during peak. It helps you think about, you know, what what you can move around in terms of shifts during the day, during the week. What can you do at the weekends that might be a bit different and still meet your, your demand? Many thanks to Martin at Piccadilly Records for sharing his thoughts. You can find out more at piccadillyrecords.com or in-store at 53 Oldham Street in Manchester. And of course, a huge thanks to James for providing both his musical talents and his logistics know-how for this episode. You can learn more about automated solutions for the warehouse by visiting tgw-group.com. Thanks for listening to the Logistics Podcast. Keep it moving. Keep it moving.